today's scripture reading is Isaiah chapter 44, verses 9 through 20. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals, fashions it with hammers, and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water, and then is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it out with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into a figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and then the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it, and he warms himself. He kindles a fire, and he bakes bread. Also, he makes a god, and he worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half, he eats meat, he roasts it, and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their hearts, so they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat, and I've eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. Our God has a sense of humor. Understand what I mean when we get there. Let us open in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for our ability to gather. God, in this house, I pray that let not my words and my thoughts, but what the Holy Spirit has placed inside of me come out of me. Lord, I pray for courage to speak truth and for love and grace to do that well. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me and opening the world to the opportunities that you have for salvation. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. It's great to be back. Uh, last Monday I was at GCU talking to some students, and I had to kind of coach them to get them going, right? So I missed home. Um, um, Y'all know by now, right, we can get going. I thank God to be with you this morning uh, to be alive um, and to be able to worship and share with you. It's a high calling for me to preach and teach the Word of God. I always share with you before I begin every time, James chapter 3, verses 1 says, Not many of us should strive to be teachers because teachers will be judged more harshly. What I'm going to engage you in this morning, I will be judged for in front of God one day. There are generations of prophets and priests and, and preachers and, and pastors, missionaries, who have carried the message of Jesus Christ, who have answered the call to preach God's word, to share God's will, where, word, whether it's at a small table or in front of a group of people. And I never, ever thought that would be me. I feared public speaking because of the cultural difference that I have with most Americans, my accent that comes out when I get excited or mad, <laughs> and it still does, I'm grateful for. I am glad now when I say, let us go into the house of the Lord, into the community of the Lord. My prayer has been to be able to share God's word to the illiterate, like my mother, and to the PhDs like we have here today. God answered that prayer. And I'm glad he did. If you need a Bible this morning, uh, raise your hand. The ushers will bring one to you. Uh, it is our gift to you uh, so you can follow along this morning as I, as I preach and teach because we will read uh, a fair amount of scripture this morning. Take one. If you want to take notes this morning, I always welcome that. I like amens, I do. I like note-takers, I like mm-hmms. You know all the deal. You know the deal. We're in a season and a, a series of messages, thank you, ushers, on the book of Isaiah, written by the prophet Isaiah. We know, what we know of Isaiah is that Isaiah, based on what he's written, is Hebrew, is very poetic. The, the vocabulary that he uses is very different. Uh, if you go into the original languages and you look at some of the words, some of the words that Isaiah uses in, 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 this, in this book are unused everywhere else in the, in the Old Testament. His, his vocabulary is very wide. Contextually, Isaiah ministered to God's people between the years of 742 to 700 B.C. As a prophet, and the nature of a prophet is different from people who have prophetic voices. In the Bible, there are major and minor prophets, not because their message is less, those with the minors are less, or those with the major message are more. The major books are called the major books because they're of their length. Isaiah, like I said, is very educated. He uses words not used anywhere else in the OT. He's very rich. The quality of writing is actually hard to, to translate. Isaiah prophesies things that are in this season of, of Israelite history that are pre-exilic, which means before the Israelites were captured and taken into exile. He prophesies about things that are during the exile. He prophesies about things that are post-exilic, meaning after they come out of exile. And he prophesies things that are in the distant future. He talks about the Messiah who was to come 700 years in the future. 
He talks about the church, which is beyond Jesus in times of years. He talks about the final consummation of God's plan for humankind, which is beyond you and me. He's a prophet, and he prophesied during the reign of, uh, during the reign of four kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. The, the Assyrian invasion is completed. The Assyrians were threatening Israel in the time that Isaiah was prophesying. The Assyrians were feared. They conquered Israel in 722 B.C. Then came the Babylonians about 100 years or so later in 586 B.C. Then came the Persian Empire in 537 B.C. So it's a long history of people conquering and taking over the land of Israel and taking the people into captivity. Some of Isaiah's prophecies, the tenses, meaning present tense, future tense, the tenses he uses is of, of someone who was living well after the exile. The people have returned, but Isaiah has been dead for over 150 years. The people returned in 537. Isaiah was alive in 740. It's a huge gap. There were clues in Isaiah's book in chapters 8, 29, and 30, but Isaiah is divided into two kind of two sections, chapters 1 to 39 and then 40 to, 30, 40 to 66. Those scrolls that Isaiah wrote on were actually sealed, versus chapters 40 to 66 were sealed, and they were put away. He handed them to his disciples, and then he is killed, not being vindicated by God. So the things, some of the things that he prophesied did not come true while he was alive. When the folks, when the Israelites get back to Jerusalem and they open the scrolls, what they find in the scrolls actually blows them away. It shocks them. And it also strengthens their faith and their belief in God because they had forgotten about God and they thought God had forgotten about them. They realized that God is actually fulfilling his promises to them all around them in those years. I want you to imagine, imagine, imagine in the year 1776, let's say, someone did a time capsule and wrote what they expected the United States to look like in 2022 or 2023. And that person predicted that our 20th century and predicted World War I, World War II. And not only did they predict that, but they named names of some of our greatest leaders. Theodore Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln, Dr. Martin Luther King, by name. What would you say to that person? When you open that scroll today, what would that do to your faith, not only in that person, but you will want to know where that person got that information from, right? They out here dropping dimes where they get that stuff. <laughs> that person who told that person you would want to get to know. You would want to know the God of that person. It would vanquish all of your fears. Because it is in, within our fears that we cling to things that we think provide us comfort. We cling to things that we think, if I cling to this, I can control my future. 
we begin to cling to what we call, what the Bible calls idols, the things we create, the things we can control. Our fears sometimes drive us toward where we can find comfort. We create what we think will bring comfort. It's natural within us. We have a self-protection instinct as human beings. Our propensity, however, to create idols comes out of our sin. What we do, what we fear, how we come, how we bring comfort ultimately comes out of our sin. Idol worship, idol creation, depending on things other than God is foolish. God says this in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 43. Pick me up there. Chapter 43, God says, But now says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not, shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Stop there. Some of us this morning are in, the place, are in places of fear. I want you to remember the big idea this morning is do not fear. I am God. I am near is what God is trying to tell us in this passage. But some of us, like the ancient Israelites, these are just words. Words aren't that comforting when you're facing an invasion, right? When these people, when, when Isaiah is prophesying these things and he's writing these things down, he's telling these people, they're in, the, they're in, they're in a place where the Assyrians are going to invade them. By the way, the Assyrians, I don't know if you know, but when they invaded, not only did they take people to enslave, they actually skinned people alive. And they were stronger than the Israelites were. So it was just a matter of time before they took over. So there's fear. When we're facing extinction, words are hard to receive. When the Assyrians, who are powerful and, like I said, skin people alive, and they take nations into slavery, right? When they lay siege to Jerusalem, words do not bring hope to the hopeless and fearful. When I was 11 years old, I tell the story all the time. Bear with me if you've heard it. I'm, not, I'm, I'm getting old. Not that old, but whatever. 1990, I'm living in West Africa. I'm living in like Monrovia, Liberia, the capital city of our country. And the city is under siege by rebel forces who are wanting to take over the government. And my father is assistant director for the Secret Service of the country. And he is in line to get killed. And because of my last name, my whole family is in line to get killed. And the city is under siege, and the people who, are, who have held the city under siege get on the radio and say, if you work for the government, you have any ties to the government, we will find you and we will execute you. Your name is Doe, you're from a certain tribe, we will find you and we will execute you. A murderous rebel army surrounded our city, threatening to kill government officials, like I said. The, the war is ethnic, it's tribal, and the tension in the city you could feel. We stopped going to school. We're too afraid. I'm locked in. And if someone, if someone would have told me 30 years later, you'd be standing here sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your kids are getting dedicated. You know what I told that person? You can't be serious. 
I'm sitting here fearful, trying to at least plan my way how I'm going to die. If so, I, I told myself, I said, if, if I get caught, I'm going to mouth off so that this soldier takes my life so that I don't have to, I don't have to, be, I don't have to be humiliated. When I left the house during that war, when we were in hiding, I would pack my clothes. I only had five sets of clothes. I would pack my clothes in a corner where I slept on, on the floor so that no one would have to clean up after me if I didn't come back. If you would have told me 30 years later, I never heard of Tucson. I didn't know God. God is good. And his words are true. I didn't know how to pray, but I prayed. If someone would have told me those words, they wouldn't have meant anything to me. Prophets, by the way, when Isaiah is writing these prophecies, prophets, whenever prophets prophesy something and it didn't come true, they were killed. So he's writing at the risk of his life. Things that God is telling him and he's so confident and he's writing them. Because he knows if these don't come true, I will be killed. And you know what happens to him? He does get killed. Some of us are in those kinds of seasons right now where words are not comforting. Words of hope fall on hard ground in your heart. Nothing of substance seems to take root. Sometimes you want to hear the words, be set free. I know some of us are afraid. So in an effort to calm our fears and prove to, to, to us how foolish it is to depend on other things other than God, right, the things that we create, Isaiah does something magnificent in this, in this passage. He's trying to tell the people who God is, but they're not listening quite well because of the fear. So he uses a different tactic. He uses what we rarely pick up in the scriptures. He uses what I interpret as humor. He said, let me show you how foolish your idols are. He, do you go to the Bible for humor? Most of us, you don't say, oh, man, I need to laugh. Let me open the book of Isaiah. <laughs> what I can only describe as prophetic stand-up comedy, what Liz just read, let me read into your hearing. Chapter 44, verse 9. This is Isaiah. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the, the things that they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god and casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Skip to 12. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry, and, he, and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line, marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into a figure, a figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in the house. He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it. You said, Marcus, where, where's, it? where's the humor, Marcus? I don't see it yet. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it into an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in a fire. Over the other half he eats meat 
and roasted and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes into a god. It's idol, and he falls down and worships it. He prays to it, deliver, deliver me, for I am your god. Isaiah is trying to say, this is, this is how stupid you are. <laughs> the same thing that you're going to cook your food on, you're going to take part of that and make it to a God and you're going to worship it and hope it delivers you. How many of you turn your stove on and say, man, I'm hoping <laughs> this gas stove can deliver me. When things get rough, I'm going to pray to this. Do you understand what Isaiah is saying? You can follow me for more humor, by the way. I know a few, few other places in Scripture. Isaiah must have been really frustrated with the people because he's dealing with a population of people that in great fear have forgotten God. They have forgotten what God had done in the past for them. They have forgotten what God has done for them. They're in a generation that they have forgotten that God brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, the miracles that God performed along the way to bring them. They're still thinking, God, the Assyrians are knocking on our door. Matter of fact, they're not even knocking. They're just coming through. They're taking our families. Every once in a while, this week and sometime in the past, I have this daydream. Anybody daydream? I'm not alone. I have this daydream. Daydream feels like too low to call what I have. But a vision or a fantasy is too high, right? It's a daydream. And in this daydream, I walk into a dinner party. And I'm scanning the room, like we all do. Who can I talk to? I'm at this party. Who do I know? Who is the most interesting person here? Who is the, most, who, who is the person that I want to cling to and talk to in this party if I don't know anybody, right? I don't want to be stuck talking to some uninterested person. Don't like it like it's just me. So I walk in in this, in this daydream, I walk in this, and I'm looking at the people in this party. Everybody has a cop, you know, you know the deal. And everyone has a name tag on. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see a gentleman walking towards me. He doesn't look very impressive. Not the person I would have scanned and said, I'm going to talk to that guy. And he starts walking towards me. He's making a slow beeline towards me, shuffling between people, you know, trying to make his way through the party to get to me. As he shuffles his way toward me, as he's walking toward me, I look around and see, is he really coming towards me? Oh, no. And as he gets closer, I can read his name tag. And on his name tag, his name tag says God. And I said, what? <laughs> I've been telling people about you. <laughs> I've actually been wanting to talk to you. This party just got a whole lot interesting. He walks up to me, and to my astonishment, he starts to introduce himself to me. He knows my name already. This is what he says. He says, I formed you. You are my servant. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. I am the Lord who made all things. He says, I stretch out the heavens and spread out the earth. He says, I am the first and I am the last. He says, besides me, there is no other God. He says, you are my witness, thank you. He says, you are my witnesses. 
He says, you will not be forgotten by me. He says, before me, there is no God. He says, after me, there will be no God. He says, besides me, there is no Savior. He says, I will make a way in the wilderness for you. He says, who is like me? No one. He says, this is who I am. This is who I am. I am the Alpha and Omega. This is why Isaiah is trying to communicate to the people in verse 43, in chapters 43 and 44. This is what Isaiah is trying to tell the Israelites. Is God is preparing a new exodus for them. He will bring them out of exile and captivity into their own land. My question to you is that, what if these words that God is saying to the Israelites and to you and I, if these are true? What if Isaiah, what if all that Isaiah is writing is absolutely true? If they all came to pass, what would that do with your relationship with God? If God says to you, you are his witness, you are his beloved, what does that do for you? Some of us live, most of us live, as if none of what we read in the Bible is actually true. We have this compartment in our minds that when we read, we're like, I'm going to put this somewhere else. It is completely different. It is my church life and my, 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 my regular life is completely different. We believe it on occasion. We believe it because we, maybe we grew up in a Christian home or went to a Christian school, right? But we haven't examined the word, the evidence. We haven't allowed the Bible to examine us. What if you grew up in a non-Christian culture and someone shared this with you? How would that impact you? Let me bring your attention to 44 verse 24. This is what God says. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins, who says to the deep, be dry, I will dry up your rivers, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purposes, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. I'm going to go into this place with me. I want you to stay with me. If you've been zoning out, stay here. Isaiah, in this little passage at the end of 44, introduces us to someone that is critical. He says, Cyrus will be my shepherd. Rather matter-of-factly, right? Cyrus has not even been born when Isaiah is writing this. Cyrus is 150 years into the future. He says, by name, here is the gentleman, well, maybe he's not gentle, right? Here's the man who will lead you out. And he's not, he will lead you out of exile. They haven't even gone into exile. He said, here's the man that will lead you out of exile, and he's not even an Israelite. The Persian Empire is still in its infancy. The Babylonians are the ones who were in charge, and the Assyrians are before them. The way I remember it is pretty easy is I remember Assyrians are first, A. Babylonians are second, B. 
Persians with Cyrus C. Hope that helps. It helped me pass a couple of exams in seminary. Don't play. <laughs> the Syrians, the, the, the Persians, take over Babylon led by Cyrus, and he says, Cyrus says to the Israelites, you can go home. But remember, like I said, the scrolls are sealed, so the people don't even know this till they get back to Jerusalem when Cyrus already told them, and then they open it and they realize, oh, my goodness, he was right. Oh, my goodness, that dude was legit, right? He says, Cyrus says, you can go home, you can practice your religion, you can rebuild your city. As God has said, given to, to, to Isaiah right here, he said, the foundation shall be laid. If you want to read more about this story, read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. It walks this whole thing through. God told Isaiah this would happen. Jerusalem will be rebuilt. The temple foundations will be laid. Can you imagine? I just imagine the dudes coming there, you know, they're opening up the scrolls and they start reading. And then they look at each other like, oh, this is true. I can imagine in that room, wherever they were when they opened those scrolls, they probably bowed down and started worshiping right then and there. Because it's been 150 years. A person who wrote is already dead. But he's writing of Cyrus, he says, he, Cyrus will be my shepherd, right? Cyrus is. He is my shepherd. Present, continuous, future. He's writing as if it's already happened. This says something about our timeless God. Y'all playing, y'all ain't ready today. <laughs> if you're here today, if you're here today and you're like, well, okay, I hear what you're saying, Marcus. That was good. How do I get in touch with this God? How do I get in touch with the God that Isaiah knows? How do I get in touch with the God that, that says things, that sees the future so clearly, he's able to name people by name 150 years into the future? How do I do that? How do I get to know him? Or you're here, maybe you're saying this. That I used to know that God. But I'm so far gone. I can't even begin to know how I come back. I will tell you this. If that's your case, you don't have to clean yourself up before you come. God will not shame you. You don't have to wash off before you come. You don't have to put on the right clothes, know the right lingo before you come. You don't. You can come as you are. Coincidentally, this week I went to the dentist. I haven't been in a while, a while meaning a while. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and then my wife will always laugh because when, when the week before I'm supposed to have a dentist appointment, I don't really, you know, I start brushing real hard. You know what I'm saying? You start flossing, all that kind of stuff. Water pick, I don't bust that out. And when you get there, you know, it, no dentist in here, I hope. I love them. <laughs> and they, they tell you what's wrong. Right? You feel some kind of way. It's not God. I, I don't know if you know, I don't have a sense of humor. It just, sometimes it just comes. I, I don't really. But God says, come as you are. Sometimes the barriers that we put in place to, to, to make an excuse for ourselves to get closer to God are all on the outside. Right? You don't have to brush your teeth, so, well, maybe you should, so long before you come. Just come. Just come. Just come. Come as you are. God 
will take care of you. Then he says, as, as the Bible goes on, he says, what makes us part of that prophecy? What makes us God's chosen people? If, if those prophecies were written to the Israelites and God calls them his chosen people, he calls them, O Jacob, O Israel, kind of an endearing name for his people, right? What, 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 do we, what can we claim in there? How do we live without fear? How do we claim those promises? When God says, you are my witnesses in the Acts, let me tell you the good news this morning. You have been adopted. You don't have to be an Israelite to be a part of his family. To be a part of this plan, you can get to know him, right? He says, there is neither Greek nor Jew in this situation. Through Jesus Christ, that's your first step. Getting to know Jesus Christ is a prayer, is a lifestyle, is a community. It's surrounding yourself with people who can direct your path to guide you. Jesus is how we get grafted in. We get adopted into the family. So all these things are true for us. The way God used Cyrus, he is using Jesus today to bring you and I out of bondage, to bring you and I out of exile, away from him, right? To bring us closer to himself and into the light, to bring us into redemption. Not redemption church where you can come, but redemption as a whole. It is a new exodus. God is taking you out of somewhere and taking you to somewhere. God is incredible, and he says, I will not remember your sins. You will, you will never be more loved by God than you are right now, the song says. No longer do you have to live in fear. You are a child of God, right? No longer do you have to fashion idols in your life. I don't know what your idols are. You know it, money, whatever it is, power. You don't have to bow to those things if you trust in the Lord. First John says, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Let me tell you how powerful that is. Like I said in the beginning, I'm in, I'm in, I'm under siege. All these armies, there are two different armies that want to kill me. And I'm sitting there, and we're praying. And we're praying every day. I'm not sure even how to pray. I, I didn't go to church that often when I was a kid. And we're, we're, we're in hiding, and we're praying. We're waiting. We're waiting, and things aren't happening. And then miraculously, some way, somehow, God works a miracle that we get out of that situation. And you know what happens to my prayer life now? It is weaker than it was back then. I'm ashamed to tell you that I prayed harder not knowing how to pray than I do, than quote-unquote, that I know how to pray. I pray that's not you. I pray that you don't wait. Once you get out of trouble, you forget about God. I pray that you do not forget that he took you out of places that only he could have taken you out of. Do not fear. God is a God that is always near. Someone in here needs to hear that this morning. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. I pray that your word landed on a heart in here this morning that is longing to hear this message, longing to hear history, longing to hear Isaiah, longing to hear the words, I am near. 
You are my child. Heavenly Father, would you move in hearts and minds right now that, that decisions get made to move, to turn in different directions, to move towards you. We thank you, Lord. We honor you. May these words be sealed in the hearts that have heard them. In Jesus' name, amen.